Welcome everybody to an emergency Hold That Podcast podcast because as you probably know when you were listening to this Sunday night or Monday morning, Ed Orgeron is out. Brody, how do you feel? This is a big moment. We kind of expected this, but were you surprised by anything today? What Take me through what your day has been like. Yeah, I mean, definitely don't feel good about any of this. Never good to see anyone lose their job and let alone a guy, you know, pretty much my entire professional career has kind of, quite frankly, been like revolved around. So it's a very strange feeling. But yeah, I mean, uh, it's sometimes it's fun to let people behind closed doors on our life. Uh, you and I were, I mean, every, to be fair, and I think what you're leaning toward is this has been coming for a little while. It was, it's been a matter of when, not if for a few weeks now, or, you know, it's been heading that way for a few weeks. And I think Immediately after the Kentucky game, it became a matter of when, not if. And um, yeah, so I think this past week, Scott Woodward and Ed Ogeron have been talking about settlements and separation agreements and things like that. And it does kind of explain a certain tone you saw in Ed Ogeron throughout the week that... Um, and, and shoot, did we even like say the news? Did you even say Ed Ogeron has been fired? But yes, that is what has happened. Yes, I did say yeah, it. Yeah, I'm just I like, yeah, it's worth like, yeah, <laughs> like, you know, Ed Ogeron. No, anyway, so... You know, they've been working on throughout the week, and I think that does explain it. Ojan kind of having a, you know, resigned but, un, you know, understanding of the situation kind of temperament this whole week. Kind of, you know, it's not like he was angry or hostile. He kind of understood what was happening and has just kind of ex- come to terms with it. And I think, and, you know, so we've been prepared. We've been writing this story for, at least reporting it for months now to some extent, and writing it for the past week. And, you know, we were ready when it came out. It published a few minutes later, but you and I were at, um, you know, we were neighbors and friends, and we were in New Orleans at a breakfast, um, you know, watching Andrew Duhon play some music and mimosa in hand as uh, as the news happens. And I and I think I literally, and I knew it was coming all morning. You and I were kind of joking all morning, like, that's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. And I, I've been prepared for it to happen <laughs> at some point today. But it's LSU, and it's it's always a mess. And I was hearing things like it's not going to happen today. Now it is, and all those things all of a sudden happens. And I'm pretty sure I just put my mosa down. Don't even. I just think I just say the words "it happened" and walk off. I didn't even say goodbye to anyone. That's and, th- that's what I remember is that you know we were sitting there talking about this happening, not Im- imminent, and then you said, "Oh God, it happened," and then you just <laughs> walked away. And then had my computer all in the car. Just looking at yeah, computer in the car, but um. I did say in in the intro that Orgeron is out, but let's just state, you know, if if anybody has missed it, uh, Coach O and LSU came to what is being termed as a separation agreement. Am I I right about that? That he will not return in 2022, but he will for now coach the rest of the season. That is the latest news update for that. Um, You reported it. A couple other people reported it. It is is happening. You know, first off, I want to zoom out for a second because – I, I feel like we, we have been in the weeds these last couple of years about what's going wrong and what went wrong. And we can dive into that because you have a great story up on The Athletic, really detailing uh, probably the best source report out there. And I know I'm biased on this, but the best source report and the, the, the biggest story, you've kind of dominated the news cycle with the story you wrote. So we'll include a link to that in the show notes and whatnot. But I want to zoom out because, you know, you did a good job of capturing this. But, I, you know, from my perspective as a fan... Coach Ogeron did bring LSU out of this Miles era of stagnant offense, and he was new and he was fresh, and he was one of us. I mean, it's cliche, but like this man knows the region. He's, he is of here, and LSU has not really had a coach like that in a long, long time. And then he builds the best college football team of all time, um, is riding high. He, he has provided such great moments for LSU, and – then it's it's so weird to look back at that not too long ago. I mean, I can remember partying in a hotel room with 50 friends, you know, on Bourbon Street the night of. But the crazy thing is, is that you look back at the last two years and I'm not shocked at that this happened. And it's just it's just so weird that we're here and it's understandable and there's no shock or surprise and it is the most LSU thing where you can have the low lows and the high highs, but LSU is still a great football team and a great program. And yet their national championship winning head coach, the master recruiter and master motivator who is of here is gone two years afterward. And it's just the most bizarre Shakespearean tragedy you could write about Southern Louisiana. And 
I don't know. It's and and you know the the weirdest thing about the moment now because we're not surprised about this is that Saturday was the best moment of the season, an incredible win for the LSU <laughs> Tigers, and it felt like Coach O making his last stand. And what we didn't know, you knew, I didn't know, and what people you know, people inside the pro, people outside the program didn't know was that. It was already done before the game, most likely. It was being talked about during the week and the last couple of weeks that these negotiations were going on. But Coach O or not, I, the players provided a spectacular moment on an 11 a.m. game that nobody was excited about and ran the ball. We can talk about this later in the week when we do our actual real podcast. And I know we'll have to, sure, I'm sure we'll have to catch our breath after a few days, but it's just surreal. And I, I mean, Going from uh, having a wonderful Saturday in Tiger Stadium to seeing you this morning and you saying, I think it's going to happen still, and then seeing you sprint off and write the story and then reading your story and, you know, seeing all the reaction. It's just, it's been a bizarre, <laughs> bizarre two days. And um, I'm sure you can attest to that. But man, what a moment. What, what, a, what a strange time. And I, I don't know. How, how do you feel about all that? Yeah, I think I think there's I think I hope what happens over time and it might take some time. And again, Edojan is getting fired, quite frankly. He's getting fired because he didn't win. And then there are a lot of other issues off the field that accelerate it. I think that's sometimes right. the best way to put it. It's not one or the other. It's it's just an ex- I think that accelerated. But so I mean, obviously that might change the context and how people view Ojan, and maybe rightfully so. I don't know. But but in terms of his performance as LSU head coach, I do hope that over time people can kind of take a a big picture look at it because I think you're going to see a lot of people right now and going forward kind of turn this into Ed Ogeron always wasn't a good coach. And I think there are some people right. who were just ready to say that the whole time, you know, just the like 2019 wasn't really Ed, blah, blah, blah. It's Burrow and Brady, yada, yada. And I get it. But I, I think the way I view it and what I hope to get across the story is I think it's an example of two things being true at once. I think Ed Ogeron is both the guy who was able to fix a lot of the issues structurally from the Les Miles era, change the way they practice, change the way they do things, and recruit some all-time classes, uh, bring in some all-time coaches, genuinely fixed a lot of things culturally there and built one of the best teams of all time. I actually give him credit for that season, but a lot of people are trying to remove that. He is both that coach and a coach who I think, in the words I used in the story, where it's just somebody, I think just the things that brought success were slowly but surely whittled away over the last two years. It wasn't like there was some smoking gun error. There wasn't, well, maybe the Polini hire, but there wasn't some like just glaring thing that he completely changed. This wasn't his old Miss years where he was, you know, just a, a tyrant or whatever. No, I just think it was a slow and steady mixture of a guy who reached the peak of his profession and his life right as a pandemic hits, right as he gets divorced, and he just wasn't quite up to handling all of that. And that's not me sitting here trying to dunk on the guy. And I think a lot of that story, I think a lot of people are taking it as like a hit piece on, oh, I don't want it to be, because honestly, I had a good relationship with Ed Ogeron. That's just the truth of the matter. But, and that's something I would normally wouldn't say on this podcast, but it's just the truth. But I, I think the honest, it's, it's a factor, you know, his off the field behavior is a factor in this. And I think a lot of people in that program would tell you it's a, it's a factor in things declining. It was a fact. It was a distraction. It was a a thing his whole team knew about. You know, it was just like, and I think, again, I don't want to create correlation between things, but yeah, while that was all happening, you did see worse hires and worse actions and worse culture and you know things like that. And the pandemic's a huge part of that. It should not be left out of the story. But I just think, my, I'm sorry, my point I'm trying to make here is I think Ed Ogeron is both the coach who brought LSU to the top and a guy who slowly willed it away. And I think you can be two things at once. And it's kind of what makes it, like you said, a kind of sad Shakespearean story because I think Ed Ogeron got where he was because he could learn from failure. But I think being the guy who can learn from failure isn't necessarily the same guy who can keep you at the top. I mean, to me, just to the distillation of that is that he deserves all the credit for 2019 and he deserves the ending he got. That's, I agree. Both are both are true. Now I am curious, and what the interesting thing that stuck with me from your story, and the the first thing I want to talk about before we move on into like how this happened or the mechanics of it, is um, you had an interesting quote from a source saying that a, a source critical of Ogeron, saying that you know they really think that maybe Coach O could have turned it around if he had the right you know kick in the ass or you know he came to his senses about some stuff. And that's that struck me because then you you look at that quote and then you also look at Saturday 
and it's like <laughs> it's this weird. I still think yeah, that shoot, this and that was, was right before time. the win too. It, it almost rings right, true and then, now, and, then yeah. and then you know they have this incredible win that's almost more incredible than last year's win. I know this Florida team was not as good as last year's team, but at the same time, this LSU team was worse than last year's team, and um, that happens. So it's just interesting to see that. Like I said, he, he deserved this ending because he, you, you you see what he's capable of. I mean, I feel like we talked all year that it was like, well, that there's going to be that one game that maybe every week you think maybe he's going to – they're going to dial it up right and they have all the talent and they're going to beat somebody that they shouldn't beat. And it happened on Saturday right after, you know, you, you got that quote from that person. So it's just bad timing all around for him uh, with personal decisions and hiring decisions and – Man, what a ride. But I do, let's move on a little bit. I do want to get into the mechanics of how this went down because, so you reported that this is, these discussions started this past week. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So I'm always curious how that happens because I know there's probably some lingering tension within the administration between Woodward and O and whoever, but like, how do you, how does, how do you even broach that discussion? I mean, it's like, I'm sure Coach O was not surprised by this, but there's, I guess what I'm asking is, A, do you know how this started and B, like the details that they're hammering out? Can you, can you go into that a little more? Yeah. And I'll, and I'll be the first to admit, I don't have, you know, in a deep behind the scenes look at kind of how that all went down. You know, quite frankly, I think a lot of this was kept pretty private and Scott Woodward's a pretty private guy and, and, you know, Ed Ogeron's not exactly going to come out saying this stuff either. So I don't have like an extreme amount to add, but I do believe, I mean, this isn't necessarily happening on hostile terms or like not. I mean, obviously things are hostile when you're firing a major coach, but you know what I mean? It's not, I mean, let's put it this way. He's still staying on all season. You know, I think that alone tells you a little, you know, something that I do believe this was slightly, I don't get, I don't know what to use words like amicable or anything like that, but you know, Ed Ogeron is getting his money, you know, that they're not taking that away from him. He's getting his $17 million buyout as Bruce Feldman reported our colleague, you know, he, he is staying on. I don't think this is like, I think there's a lot. Of, I talked to one administrator a little bit ago after the story ran, and he's like, we do have a lot of love for Ed Ogeron. You know, he's a guy mm-hmm. who did bring us 15-0. He's a guy who, you know, won every award you possibly could. He's Louisiana guy. They love him. But, and, and and again, I'm not saying I buy everything this person's saying, but he's like, at the end of the day, it just came down to wins and losses. And, and on the other end of things, I do think there's an element of Ed Ogeron kind of knew this was coming at some point. So, he, you know, I think he's at that point just negotiating in good faith to, you know, not get screwed, if that makes sense. So I, I think it started this week and I, you know, based on the result, I don't think it was necessarily a vicious thing behind the scenes. I think I think Woodward maybe has been working on his own on this for months behind the scenes. And that's that's mm-hmm. certainly the case. But I, I don't think this this past week was necessarily some some crazy ordeal, if that makes sense. It might be a little more dull than we think. That's true, and you know we. we but we I should add, and, t- as, and as you mentioned, yeah, I was told Friday night, this is happening, win or lose, you know, and I certainly after the Florida game, winning a game like that, the emotional way it happened, I I kind of did think it wouldn't happen now, like this week, it was going to happen eventually. I kind of thought you wouldn't still be able to do it Sunday. Just because of how emotional of a win that was, it would make all the sense in the world to wait to the bye week and things like that, which is in a week. I, I am surprised it happened this soon, but I think the fact that he's staying on, it goes to the point that it wasn't about saving his job at this point. Right. And you, you, like I said, you know, and he says this all the time, especially he's been trotting it out a lot as questions keep getting asked about his job status that he knows what the expectations are. I mean. The, the the whole part that made him this beloved son was that he grew up an LSU fan. He knows LSU. He has lived, you know, vicariously through LSU stuff for a long time. And being the head coach at LSU was his lifelong dream. And so there, I'm, I'm happy for him that it is ending on a positive note or at least as positive as possible. Because he, like 2019 brought, he is will be forever remembered as a hero for that thing, for that season, you know. He's the one that convinced Joe Burrow to come. He's the one that got Joe Brady there, and like he deserves a lot of credit for that. So I'm happy that this is not uglier. But that kind of segues me to my next point, and it's it's interesting that this happened today because there's a lot of season left. What what is even? Do you have even a sense of what the vibe is going to be like? You know, my my first thought when when I saw those reports and that is like how how like however amicable this is like. 
the rest of the season is going to be this weird, awkward dance where, you know, he might be playing against a couple of people who <laughs> will be in consideration for this job down the road. And it's, you know, it's like you get fired from your job and you have to stay on an extra two months. Like, I know, is it a month and a half? It's just, it's got to be the weirdest feeling for him. I don't know what it's like inside the building, but what do you think the rest of the season is going to be like relationship wise and attitude wise? And yeah. Can you, can you just expound on that? Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I think it's, I'm with you. I, I have a hard time. And I mean, it happens, I guess all the time, but not usually with a guy who's that's usually like for retirement or something like that. It is going to be right. a weird situation. And I, I think there's an element of, and we've all talked about it. Like, I think there was concern on, you know, the, who the interim coach would be. And, and Ed Ogeron, quite frankly, and credit where it's due on this, I've, I've even had like coaches who were leaving tell me this, like, like everything about how much Ed Ogeron loves LSU is real. And like, he just actually loves it. So I don't think he's a guy who's going to try to burn that place to the ground. He's going to do his best to try to keep that recruiting class intact. He's going to do his best to kind of get those guys to at least play hard, you know, this week, these next few weeks. And, and I think that's something, cause I think, there's probably a little bit of a concern of if you you know go with someone who's just not capable of doing some of those little things, you could do more damage, you know. And yeah, I think there's a lot I don't know, and that is kind of that is surprising, you know. What is the benefit of right now compared to later? Because it's not like you're hiring a sitting coach right now. You're not. You're not right, hiring a exactly. sitting coach until after the season. So mm-hmm. does this mean you're looking for somebody who's not currently coaching? I don't know about that. I'm, I don't have any information on that. But it's just it's things like that. You're like, why well, do that and then leave you in this limbo? I, I, it's something I really struggle with here. But I do think there's going to be some elements of, all right, tensions were already weird there. Now your entire staff's looking for other jobs. That's uh, that's that was the other thing I was asking about. It's like when yeah they are. Of when, when do coordinators leave? Like when when does somebody bail? Like in, and I guess they don't. They're not going to bail. I guess until after the season two, because where would they leave for? Any jobs not open yet? Right. But yeah, no, it's going to be a really weird few weeks. But honestly, I guess there's an element of like, what does it deeply matter? You know, where LSU's not playing for very much right now. Most of their star players are out. You know, they're they're expected to lose this game, these next few games anyway. So why not let have and, and this is me just playing devil's advocate. I have no idea what I think on this, but you know, why not let Ed Ogeron have his final few weeks as head coach and not, you know, get rid of things in a vicious way. And to be yeah. fair, I don't know if at LSU wanted this out yet, if that makes sense. I don't think LSU That's was like trying to announce this. I think reporters found out and got it out there but i don't think they were looking to get this in for this this agreement out there right away if that makes sense so that's good to know that that kind of connects the dot for me because it's just like i'm doing the math in my head and we have six weeks after the season five games in a bye week and then i mean there's probably not a bowl game at the end of this but one more surprising win plus a win against ulm gets you a bowl game um so i mean like Winner, winner. I don't know. It's it's just going to be the weirdest time, and I, and I can't remember a time like this in LSU recent memory. You know, I mean, uh, there, sure, their coach has been fired, but an, an, an inter- he's gone, and an interim takes over. But yeah, see Ed Ogeron, or you know, at the end of the Donardo era, you know, Saban left on of his own accord, obviously. But um, it's it is a very unique time in the modern history of LSU football, especially with this long and. What does even the team look like? I mean, are they going to be discouraged that Coach O is getting fired? Or did they know this? And, like, do they look like they did against Florida the rest of the year? Who knows? It's kind of the strangest thing. I'm, I'm interested to see it, but I just I can't imagine what the emotions are in that building from top to bottom. <laughs> no, yeah, it, it's going to be a very weird time. And and I think just everything at this point just looks – is just pointed toward the future. I think everything at this point is about – getting healthy, getting those freshman looks, getting those sophomores looks, uh, trying to have guys develop, which is a really weird place to be if you're LSU, of course. But, yeah, it's just a it's a strange time. And I think everything, you know, like for me as an LSU beat writer, like how much am I really going to be writing for you guys about the day-to-day, you know, details of this season? Probably not a ton. You know, I think it's safe to assume everything at this point is going to be about who that replacement is, what's next, all that stuff, which I guess can lead us to that discussion if you're ready for it. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about names last podcast a little bit, and I I think I gave a couple of uh, my wish list. Um, we don't have to, but do you have any inklings or updates on names or 
any feelings on new updates from there? I mean, I've, that, that's the other part of this that before, before you answer that, it's like we still have six. Everybody has six weeks left of the season. So you assume that he is going after a sitting head coach. And so that sitting head coach will not leave his team during the season. That never really happens. Um, so there's not going to be a lot of movement, at least not publicly or in, in any sort of way like that. So do you have any clue about how this process is going to go? Uh, any any feelings? Because I, I know that Woodward is methodical and a, and a big game hunter. But, yeah, how, how do you feel like the coaching circuit is, is going to go alongside of this? And do you have any reporting on the matter? Yeah, I think, and, you know, a lot of this also defer to our colleague Bruce Feldman's, you know, reporting on this already, but and some I can back up as well. I mean, I think he is going to go absolutely huge game hunting. And it's just worth really reminding people this is a job a lot of people want. And it's like, I think so often on social media, we get in these debates of like, what are the five, 10 best jobs? And we think of it as like us as fans, how we view it, or like, you know, just like, wow, USC's a big cool job like that's got all this prestige and stuff and i think we fall in that trap and you but if you ask like coaches people who are in it's really comes down to where is it where can i win a national championship where am i going to have clear access to major talent things like that like where is there an infrastructure where it's proven i can win and lsu ranks near the absolute top i mean i think some would actually make an argument it's like the third or fourth best job where you have three consecutive coaches winning national championships there quite frankly two of them who aren't exactly looked back on as good coaches or great coaches i mean yeah ed ogeron and les miles so i think there's a lot of coaches who are looking at this as and again you're seeing a lot of people trying to make an argument like wow how's lsu going to replace who's going to want to take that job after firing coach two years after it? everyone I and mean, people want to, you're not going to get Nick Saban or Kirby smart, but I think everyone else is in some ways, at least on the board, you know, and, and I really think people have downplayed that too much. So I think, I think Jimbo Fisher is absolutely somebody who has already been called. I don't think he's coming quite frankly. I, I, I think, you know, we've heard that and other people reported that. I do not think Jimbo Fisher is going to be the next LSU coach, but things can change. It is Scott Woodward we are talking about here. He is the man who brought him to A&M in the first place. Uh, I think I think there – I've heard some things, and, and Bruce hasn't reported this, so there's always a chance I'm completely wrong here, but I have heard that there is a – a hope to maybe make a massive push for Lincoln Riley again. Mm. Uh, yeah. I, I, do I think Lincoln Riley is going to leave Oklahoma? I wouldn't put my money on it, but I think he's, I think there is absolutely a push, whether it be from Woodward or boosters or a lot of people around this program that they want somebody who they would like. I mean, they're not going to like rules a great coach out, but they would like somebody who's proven they can develop quarterbacks, you know, develop, you know, not necessarily have to be like, you know, you're Lane Kiffin scheme genius, but like somebody who's proven they can develop quarterbacks. I think that's a big thing they'd love, you know, and I think that's why a lot of names on this list are at least on there. But there are others who aren't. You know, Mel Tucker is a real candidate right now. And a lot of that has to do with some powerful people at LSU who who are kind of pushing behind the scenes to have Woodward look closely at Mel Tucker. But I, I do think Mel Tucker is a real candidate, a guy who's been under Nick Saban at the height of college football, been under Kirby Smart at the height, and now very small sample size that you absolutely have to worry about, but that's my only worry about yeah. him is that it's it, you know it'd be his third job in three years. I was gonna but say and let's get to that. In like, great, yeah. I was gonna say let's get let's circle back to him in a second because I'd love to talk about that more. But yeah, I think he's like we said, not a great. He's one season of winning football, right? And I think you know Bruce reported that they're they're gonna make a call to Dabo Swinney and make him say no. They really are. Like that is how Scott oh, Woodward thinks. I don't want that. I don't, I let, me, let me let me speak for LSU fans. I don't want Dabo Swinney here. I don't. I know you don't. I know you don't. <laughs> uh, but hey, man, he's won two national titles, and I think a lot of people would say uh, he know. cares. You know. Uh, right. And then yeah, then you're gonna have your James Franklin's. I absolutely think he's a candidate, a guy who's a good recruiter, who's a program builder at two places that aren't you know very different scales. But Vanderbilt and Penn State are the easiest jobs, and has taken both the different kind of heights that they'd had in recent years. I think Billy Napier is on the list. I don't think Billy Napier is like the top choice or anything like that. But you know, certain I think he's a really good up and coming candidate who's both been in the machines of Alabama and Clemson and built his own thing in Louisiana. So that's a huge thing. And then you don't rule out your Mario Cristobal's and your Mark Stoops's of the world. So and also Lane Kiffin, of course, as we mentioned. So I think there's and those are a lot of guys. Bruce has reported some me, but let's let's. Which name do you want to jump on first? I guess out of those, well, I'll take that. Uh, we talked about, let, let's talk, you know, I don't know. That's tough. I mean, my heart wants Lane Kiffin. You know that. I do. I, 
I love his whole MO. I love his swagger. He's a scheme guy. He has made Ole Miss likable, which as an LSU fan is the most infuriating but incredible thing that <laughs> Ole Miss has never been very likable. And I know that they are a rival of sorts, but they're fun. He's fun. He brings a lot of energy, brings a lot of juice, and he brings a lot of offensive firepower that I think that any recruit that is playing offense is going to want to play for him. Yeah, I would I would trust that he would hire a defensive coordinator who's good. Um, his defenses at Ole Miss have never been known for their uh, tenacity and their competence, but I think he'd have a different level of recruiting um, here. And I don't know. I yeah. I would I would love that. I think he would bring a lot of energy here and. You know, I don't know if that would be weird for him since he is one of Ogeron's like best buds, but that's my number one. That's the one that would get me most juiced up. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, my take on that. I agree that he could probably elevate things pretty quickly. I think my question is one: Do you want to? Are you sure he can sustain it? You know what I mean? Like, I believe he could elevate it quickly. I don't. Nec- I'm not saying I don't think he can. I just don't know if he can. He's not proven in any way yet that he can sustainably build a program. And he is a kind of, I don't know, volatile guy. I guess is that a good way to put it? You yeah, know? I was going to say, like, you and you're know. you're firing as, at Ogeron in part for a lot of off-the-field things. Yeah. yeah, and, like, are we trusting Lane off the field for, uh, you know, insert uh, research you can do on the internet from here um, <laughs> about <laughs> Lane's proclivities? Um, but I, let's talk I about Mel Tucker. I, yeah. I, I like Mel Tucker. You know, I, I will say, for some reason, Jimbo does not do a lot for me right now. Because Jimbo doesn't do a lot for anyone, but he's successful. Like I know, and like I Bama went aside, which was a great one for them, I understand. But also they had just gotten off losing two terrible games. I am a big Jimbo hater, and that is not but totally people are bizarrely and again he's not coming to LSU, so we, we don't have to go down the rabbit hole. But it's like my biggest issue is like he's the it's the one program in the country everybody's just like on a mission to downplay at all times. I've never seen anything else like it in football where everyone's like, yeah, but they suck. And it's like nobody wants to give them any credit for in year three going twelve and one and being are the fifth team in the country and arguably could have gone to the playoff. Like it's wild how everybody's like, see, they still can't do it. And I'm like, they did it. What are you talking about? They went 12 and one and their only loss was to the unanimous best team in the country. And they actually lost just as close as everyone else did except Florida. Like, it's just weird to me. Everyone's just like brushing that away. Anyway, not 12 and one. It was a pandemic season, but you know my point. Anyway, back to, yeah, I was about to say 12 and one. When did that happen? It was a pandemic, but they went, I know one loss. Yeah. I, I'm still just like, I don't know. They, they, they just I, they just don't do it for me. I, I just don't. And I know they went 9-1 and one last year, and that's great and fine. But um, he doesn't do it out. for me. But also, there there is this weird thing where Jimbo has been linked to this job for feels like a decade now. Yeah. Absolutely. When Miles gets, gets fired, it, it You could even argue 20 years because Saban. Well, yeah, and like he was, he interviewed for the job after that. Yeah. Well, and it's very funny. Like you know, you look back, and Jimbo uh, had a lot of good cachet here because he stayed on after Saban left. He stayed on under Les for a year as offensive coordinator, and apparently it was awful. And Les was trying to get him to run the ball. You know, every LSU fan knows (laughs) that from who was around at that time. But um, yeah, I mean, it's always been him. So I don't know why that bores me, and maybe that's that's stupid of me, but. I also don't find him as likable personally, and maybe that's dumb. And look, if Jimbo came here and Woodward went out and got him and Jimbo wins 10 games, 11 games, I will eat crow in all of this. I will eat shit. So I just, I'm saying as a fan, and I think I probably represent a lot of the fan base in saying this, that he doesn't do it for me right now. Can I say what the other part of this probably is, though? Yes. I'm not speaking just for you, but I'm speaking how this, I think, goes for every one of these main candidates we're talking about. I think we all, as sports fans, and I say this as a Tottenham fan who felt this way all the summer when I was dealing with that search or any job opening of any team I root for, you want your guy that's yours, right? Like, And I think that's what happens a lot with these discussions. Like, You want your guy that feels like you're getting him on the come up. Like, 
as he's about to become the big name and then he succeeds with you and then he's yours like he's your guy mm-hmm. and i think with jimbo i think there's like and even if like they hired a dabo i think they're just again i think everyone would get over if they win so i'm not saying this is an actual point but i just think as fans there's that part of people that's like i don't want a jimbo or a dabo a guy who's won with someone else and like now we're like his secondary titles or like it's kind of boring because this guy's been in my life for 10 years already and it's like i want that new exciting star coach like the joe brady thing for some example and i think like that's just worth addressing because i think that factors into people's thinking really big with this stuff that's fair a little bit that's that that's fair i just I will, that's not I me coming welcome- at you that was just something i felt was worth mentioning. i know i would welcome him reluctantly but i would still welcome him I'm glad you mentioned Joe Brady because <laughs> I feel like we need to quickly dispel that Good he call. is not coming here. He will be an NFL head coach very soon. Yes, it's I very likely. I, I, th- I think you can use that his only year of college football coaching was the best season ever, and he said, bye. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I don't want to recruit. And now he's doing a great job in Carolina, and he is going to be a head coach, so let's put that all to rest, everyone. And again, he do not do not really do not didn't mention like Joe Brady. As, like, let's yeah. just make that clear. Like he did not like that. And That's to be understandable. The head coach at LSU. Yeah, I don't think that, I'd like it. That guy finished his shift scheme and plays, and then had to go call a bunch of seventeen-year-olds. Yeah. Some people are built for that. Exactly. Joe is not. That's fine. Yeah, and at LSU, you need to be built for it. Yes. So let's get that out the way right now. Um, you know, it's interesting. Let's also talk about a name that's not on this list, and we can talk about why, which is Luke Fickle. Is that is that a a cultural not fit, or is it, like, you know, the the rep with Fickle is that he has done a great job building the Cincinnati program. He is a really good coach. Um, he he's a Midwest guy. Uh, he has turned down bigger opportunities to stay at Cincinnati. Cincinnati is number two in the country right now, as we speak. Um. Is there just not a lot of mutual interest there or what, what is your sense on that? I think personally, I just think it's Luke Fickle. It's kind of been like quietly understood for two, three years now that like Luke Fickle, one is at a great situation. He's just not the kind of guy. There are coaches who are on a mission to kind of like rise every chance they can. And there are some who are like, it's a little bit more about quality of life and stuff. And I think he's built a really good thing there and he's happy there. And now they're going big 12. So there is even less. First off, they might make, they should make the playoff this year if they keep winning. So you don't need that, yeah. that reason to need to get out of their ASAP's gone. Two, you're about to join the big 12 soon. So that gets, you know, downplayed a little bit. And three, mm-hmm. yeah, I think we all understand like there's an assumption he's kind of waiting out for if his alma mater Ohio State opens or if a Notre Dame opens, you know, one of those yep. classic Midwest jobs. I just think that's the right. most likely thing. Okay, got that out the way. Let's talk Mel Tucker because yeah. he is a name that I feel like has come on, you know, in the last week and a half as Michigan State has had a wonderful season. Um, and surprisingly, I mean, they were not supposed to be great. And he did a good job at Colorado yeah. and he left for this job. And, you know, he has been a man on the move, but for good reason. I mean, you can't blame him from going from Colorado to Michigan State and then getting bandied about for top five top 10 jobs in the country so give me your take on mel tucker yeah i think i think he's a really interesting one because mel tucker i think is an elite recruiter check i think mel tucker is mm-hmm. somebody who has uh, he has access to the death star is someone's one person put it to me just in terms of he's you know he's worked with saban you know i think two different times i want to say not for long but two different times with nick saban he was a huge part of georgia building that thing up fast under kirby smart and, and you know, I think those that that's a relevant detail, and and the same for Billy Napier, by the way. It's a relevant thing to be able to be like you have now proven you can be a head coach, and you've seen what it takes to build like the power program that helps. And I think yeah. the, that resume is really good, and he has a really long NFL background. Don't don't rule that out. And like I said, yeah. he's a recruiter, and now he's turned around Michigan State really quickly. That's a really good resume. And I think Mel it Tucker is. is awesome. And I think Mel Tucker in like two or three years. Probably should it be one of the top jobs in the country. And I'm not even saying he, won't, he shouldn't get this. I actually don't want a million years to say this. I'm just actually saying I think the fear there is hiring a guy who is just, quite frankly, only had you know five and seven Colorado. And as somebody who watched a weird amount of Colorado that year, I don't know why, but they, they <laughs> yeah, overachieved. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but they, like, they won games they weren't supposed to win. Like He did he had that program going, and then yeah. and now this year, obviously, they have things going great. So I think he's a great coach. It's just small sample size for a job this big and on top of that i i just i think there is that thing um I, again i'm not saying this 
But I do wonder if it's like, are they a little hesitant to go with like a defensive guy? You know, and again, I am not reporting that, but I just wonder. Yeah, I get that. Um, I don't know. His resume, it, you know, when you look it up and down, he's been around a lot of good coaches, you know, and he does have a, Absolutely. You know, his NFL experience that the teams weren't great, but like I, that doesn't super matter to me. That doesn't um, matter to me, yeah. He has been in the building with Saban twice. He helped build Georgia up, and now he's getting his time in the sun. He's Shoot, he was State. even on the he was on the Ohio State national title team. He was their DB was. coach. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I, you know, and you could. There's a detail that we have fall to in love with this. that move. No, okay. I, I think I think if you hire Bell Tucker, there are worlds where you could talk yourself into that so hard and, and yeah. get so incredibly excited about it, and you probably should. Mm-hmm. But there is just reasonable fear. I think that, that's that's all. That's all. That's all we're saying. But I, and also, hey, quite frankly, there are some people in the in the university that want a, you know at least them making sure they're looking at diverse candidates, as they probably should be. It's a it's a program that's. I mean, I wrote a big deep dive on it this summer, but the program yeah. that had a long history of not really having a representative staff, football and academic and everything. So I'm not saying they should hire a coach for, you know, specifically enforce it, but I'm just saying, I think that, that, that there's a reason they're pushing for diverse, you know, candidates at least. Diverse or not, the dude has a good resume. And oh yeah. I it's think, deserved. Absolutely. Yeah. So I would be okay with that. I've been I, I've been warming up to James Franklin too. If, <laughs> if we want to move down the list, that yeah. that I'm literally looking at Bruce's story right now. So, I mean, here's here's my instinct on James Franklin. I think he has a good thing going at Penn State. I think he would come to LSU, but he also feels like a guy that uh, would love to flirt with LSU and maybe get some more money out of Penn State. And I would not begrudge him for that, but. I don't know. What do you think about him? What do you, what sense do you get with him? I mean, he's been in the SEC, you know. Yeah, no, I think Franklin is an example of somebody who, again, he falls in the category of I think like some fans would get bored by him because they see this coach who like only wins nine, maybe ten games at Penn State and all that stuff and like, isn't a play caller and all that. And I think they get bored and I get it, but I just think like running programs is really about knowing how to run programs. And like Penn State, and I think we talked about this last week, he recruits at an elite level at Penn State. I know he's had one or two like really dip years. Now he has it back. Like even just for Penn State is never. I could, people might tell me I'm completely wrong on this. Penn State isn't historically a place where like you're landing consistent out of state five stars, and he lands some pretty big fish. And and I, I just don't think we can ever overlook what he did at Vanderbilt. One of the better coaching jobs in the last twenty years, getting Vanderbilt from Vanderbilt to like nine and three twice, right? Like I mean, he yes. he's a guy who knows how to run programs. Is a good hire who's hired a lot of guys and then go on to other stuff. The Joe Moore had one mm-hmm. being obviously his best, but there are others from Brent, Brent Pride, Zach Arnett, a lot of guys, and uh, Ricky Ronnie. And I, I I just think he's a guy who, if you put him in a USC or an LSU, there's risk like we said i mean he doesn't call plays things like that you gotta yeah it's fair but i think it might be like putting him in a sports car and he might really get stuff rolling that's my thing i think james franklin at lsu will get most coordinators he wants like he will get yeah and he will take recruiting from i don't know five in the country to two or three and i know that sounds like not much but that's like the gap it is that that is the difference between making the playoff or making a you know uh what's the word group of six ball Um, and i think he builds teams that know how to play you know so I, I'm not saying you should be pick one or two. I'm not even like campaigning for him. I'm more arguing the people who are like, that's a bad move. I'm like, I don't know if I agree with that. I also, I also really, you know, I, I know last time I said he didn't do much for me and then I thought more about it. And then I really, I was on his side this week about the Iowa uh, injury bullshit that, <laughs> you know, it's for, for people who didn't hear it. So Iowa and Penn state played last weekend. Uh, Iowa accused and their fans loudly booed and made fun of them in the stands. These players that were hurt. And then at least one of them turned out to be out for the rest of the year. And it is a common thing to say that when you have an offense that is moving fast and all of a sudden, Oh, ouch, coach, my arm hurts. And let's catch our breath for five minutes while I get tended to, which whatever, I'm not getting into that. But Iowa's offense uh, also comes from about 1957 they uh, <laughs> huddle up. They are not a fast-moving offense, as you saw this weekend when they got their ass kicked. And Jay, I, I thought James Franklin handled that very well. 
I really liked how he talked about it. I liked how he supported his players. And it came at a time when I'm thinking about him as a possible coach. And I was like, you know what? Like he, he wouldn't be like, I wouldn't jump up and down in my kitchen if we hired James Franklin, but also I would be like, hell yeah, let's go. Like this guy has the bona fides of everybody else. And you know what? Like we say, the last three coaches, the coach at Louisiana state university have won national titles and you can debate. One of them is the best college football coach of all time, but the next two might not be considered that, although they're very good coaches at the time. Um, might not be considered of that echelon. So no, that was my argument like last said, week, right? It's like LSU for seventeen years now, which let's not underplay that. Seventeen years now, or sixteen at least, has basically been run by two guys who I think are yeah, like you said. I think for every compliment I will ever give them, and I think they both deserve some. For every one of those, they have some messiness and flaws to them, and carelessness to them, and things like that. It's like. Yep. I think there's a little bit of like because people are so tired of having CEOs, they're forgetting that like if you put it in the hands of a good one, they might get so much out of it. And that's my thing with Franklin or anyone like that we're talking about. It's just and I know I'm, I know I'm just reiterating your point. You said this better than me, but it's just like that's the thing I want to yell is like if you get a guy who really knows how to run this, it might skyrocket, even if it's not as like fun to have the cool play caller. I'm you know I'm interested to see. You know, because Franklin is going to be a USC candidate. You know, I, I don't think yeah. that's a secret either. Is that this is the first time that we have Woodward working for us now? And I'm curious how he handles that because, you know, when O got hired, there was the uh, infamous Tom Herman flirtation that yep. he leaked that to get, he leaked that LSU was going to offer him the job and then he got a bigger offer from Texas. And now both, he somehow, lasted fewer years than at Ogeron and I'm very good with that so <laughs> I'm curious to see because James is probably going to have his pick and probably there might be some reports leaking out at some points about negotiations and you know a little public play to up some money from somebody and I'm curious to see if a Woodward is involved and b how he handles uh yeah. competing for a coach if he's involved and you know, actually competing probably with three schools if we include Penn State in that, who would clearly want him to stay. So that'll be curious. Um, By the way, it's worth I, bringing up Herman because I'm, I'm just like this is a complete aside, but I think the Herman story is worth looking at. I want to be for what it's worth. Texas is actually a much harder job to win it than a lot of people understand. So like, I'm not sure I'm writing off Tom Herman forever, but I also heard some rough stories from those years there. Sorry. Point yeah. being. Tom Herman, at least in that, just go back to 2017 or 16, like that exact point in time. Tom Herman seemed as much of a perfect resume rising star candidate as I can Mm -hmm. remember. Like maybe Scott Frost probably is in that same zone. And by the way, that's going to be my other example of like Tom Herman was like put in a lab to be like the next star head coach. He felt like he was going to be the next urban, had a great career as a star OC, led Ohio State to the national title as OC, then takes a program that isn't necessarily great and makes them like elite, a group of five school elite, but still recruiting five stars at Houston in like one yeah. year. And like, it was perfect. It was like, that guy's going to go to Texas or LSU and be the next Urban Meyer. And it flamed out disastrously. Or Scott Frost, who by the way, I'm not out on Nebraska. I still think Nebraska is like the weirdest team in college football where I think they're a top 25 team who's lost five games. It's wild. But anyway, that probably <laughs> followed. But Scott Frost, another example of a guy who like, perfect resume like that dude was skyrocketing did what he did at yeah. ucf and it's like that guy's gonna go p5 and win 10 titles not literally yeah but and again has not worked out at all so just like it's my reminder to everybody not to avoid that guy god no because urban meyer was that guy and he's one of the best coaches ever you know or whatever and nick saban was that guy there's different rules here but i'm just saying be careful because the biggest thing, I think T-Bob coined it, and I like love stealing this line, is just like I think it was like a hiring nihilist, I think was his word, or something like that, where it's just like yeah. there are no rules for what's a good coach. There is no path that's clear. There's no resume point or marker <laughs> that's clear. It's just who is good. I know that sounds so overly simplistic and stupid, but it's just how it works or who's good for the situation. So just be careful of the hot young thing motion. That's all I'm saying. So, and this is going to be a good segue that I will make here. It's all going to be what what Scott Woodward thinks is good. So, and I want to make the most brief of asides because I swear to God, if we go after Dabo Swinney, like I know he has the resume. I know he's a proven winner. I know that. But nobody would make me more depressed because I don't find him likable in the least. He has this huckster 
fake veneer of this good old boy who then says a lot of dumb shit about name, image, and likeness. You know, he said five years ago he was going to quit football if they started getting paid. I was, I'm going to go do something else. Well, Dabo's still coaching at Clemson University. So I just, I find him to be one of the most dislikable coaches, and that is just my personal opinion. And he has won so much, and I think – I think I would have a hard time, and this sounds so stupid because you're going to tell me this guy built Clemson, Clemson into this absolute powerhouse that is a little down this year, but there's no reason to think that it is a downward trajectory for them. They have all the, all the talent in the world. They have the best facilities, and that's all because of Dabo Swinney. But I'm just saying, I, <laughs> I'm not going to be jumping up and down if, if we get Dabo Swinney. And you know what? It's going to take a lot to get Dabo Swinney to come here. I mean... Are we going to pay Dabo Swinney $12 million? And is he going to bring Brent Venables? Like, I mean, he is the epitome of guy who hired really well and keeps guys very well, which Ed Ogeron did not do for whatever reason. We don't have to blame him here for that because Joe Brady wanted to be in the NFL. But Dabo has kept his great coordinators in place for a long time. He's done a really good job at it. But I just find him so dislikable that I don't want him. And I think of this crop where you have a lot of good people to pick from, I think that somebody else could do just as good or better job and be more likable and more authentic than Dabo Swinney. That's all I'll say about that. No, I mean, that's that's fine, man. I don't have too much to even counter there, but no, I mean, and this is where I'll remind our listeners that are relatively new to the show. I mean, our di- our dynamic here is Chris is an LSU fan and he's not going to hide it as he shouldn't. So I love that he is telling this and I am a reporter who will not have any. Counter- yeah. So you can say <laughs> uh, great, great stuff, Chris. All right, let's move on. No, so, no, it's not me doing that. I think what you said is hundred percent valid and I get it. And, and also like, so, I, I think it even goes back to the like used goods thing. And it's just like, how is that fun to get excited about? And yeah, I don't know if I, I think that'd be one of the most fascinating things in college football is to see what Dabo would do somewhere else. Like how sustainable, well, I think it's proven sustainable, but how like, transferable as his his abilities yeah i don't know i think it'd be so fascinating and it's almost not worth diving in on because i highly doubt it happens it's just really interesting that bruce reported that he is somebody you know scott Woodward will at least go for and i think the yeah. chance there is like i guess that minuscule chance that you know on it maybe I'm, I'm always curious to see how desperate people are to get in the sec you know what i mean just as mm-hmm. as the college football landscape is changing and changing and changing like more and more do you see coaches just be like, I got to get in the SEC to matter. And that's the only possible way I would ever see that. But I have no clue. So I want to circle back to Tom Herman just for a second. And yeah, mention that you it. say Head coach resume stuff. Well, it's it, it, it links to the next name on the list. Like this guy is a great resume, but you don't know what he's going to be like on the big stage as a head coach. And the next name on this list is Billy Napier. Yep. Has more head coaching experience than Tom Herman did coming in. I don't think he would super excite the fan base. I actually think he would do a really good job because he's done a really good job at UL. But I think there's a large chunk of the fan base that would be most excited about him. Yeah, but like, I don't know, man. There is a weird big brother, little brother dynamic between LSU and UL where like most of that UL fan base loathes LSU, hates LSU, like just in my experience. So I don't think there's a lot of overlap in fan bases, to be honest. And like we we could write a whole do a whole podcast on that and talk to people about it. But I I don't think LSU feels the same way. I don't think LSU really cares that much. Um, but I don't know. You know, the Bruce mentions this, and I think I agree with him. And he says, you know, for as successful as Napier has been at, at Louisiana, would LSU and Woodard actually hire a coach from the Sun Belt for this job? Yeah. And all we know about Scott Woodard is that I think the answer is no. No, I think it's it's going to be fascinating because it's like it's not he's not just a guy like from the Sun Belt. I think he's a guy who's been like the hot name in coaching for like three years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. The only reason he's still at the Sun Belt is because he's turned down chances at I don't know South Carolina and, and Auburn. Auburn, Auburn, yeah, plenty of there's and there's others too. Like Mississippi State absolutely wanted him. Like he's turned down. Yeah. So it's not, you know, and that's not me telling you this, but I, I, I do wonder. Yeah, I think you have to be concerned about that. Same thing as like the Mel Tucker thing of just like it's a different animal. And I guess the only way you're going to talk yourself into it is also the Mel Tucker case of he spent a lot of his career with Dabo and Nick Saban. So he yep. has like been through – he knows how to build the Death Stars. My, right. He, 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 he's, he's been in the Death Star. He knows how – he knows – all the uh, the walkways and how, how to build everything. So, and proving would, you know that and can win at a really high level with less talent and knowing how to really recruit Louisiana in the area is a selling point. 
And it he is. does fit that like next exciting young thing thing, but not in a too small of a sample size. Like he has proven like he mm-hmm. can, he can sustain success. So I think there's a lot that's really intriguing there where I actually think just and this is me purely going off my mentions on a day to day basis. So not a good you know, indicator. But like I feel like a lot of the fan base is like, yes, of course, they want like their top two or three guys. But a lot of them just have like always kind of understood Napier just makes so much sense. And I think that's like that's almost the best way to put it is like I think a lot of the fan base feels like and you're a fan, you could know better. But they feel like, man, Napier just makes so much sense. Not even as much like he's my top choice, but he's just the choice that would work. Yeah, I, I think he would work. I think he would be good. Um I would not be mad at all if they hired Billy Napier. Not at all. So, <laughs> um, a couple more names on this list that we haven't mentioned: Mario Cristobal. Um, I would be very cool with that. I think it's, Mario. It's the Franklin has, thing. It's the exact. It's the same talk as Franklin, really. And he's done a fascinating job in turning Oregon from you know the Chip Kelly era and into Mark Helfrich, you know, and. <laughs> And the I feel like Tiger. nobody mentions Mark Helfrich anymore, but Mark Helfrich made a national title game. Um, <laughs> but but you know it was the same kind of system. It, it is this wonderful offense. They have all these athletes all over the field, and now they are this like big bruising team that will just beat the shit out of you. And I like that. I think that's cool that he did that in such a small stretch. You know, he's been there what three years? Three, four, something. Uh, he has not. He, no, he, he's on. This is his fifth season. Wow. Well, well flies, okay, that's a lie. Year one was interim, so I'm so sorry. Uh, fourth season. Yeah. Right. So anyway, I mean, it is he, you know, he had to start recruiting then. So he has turned around. He has remade this this top tier program into the image that he wanted in three to four years with recruiting classes and style of play and coaching hires. And I think and he's that's an really, elite, elite recruiter. I mean, he I is think a he's guy really who, if yeah. you take over at LSU, you might get the number one and two recruiting class most years. Like again, I'm not like I'm not predicting that, but it's the Franklin thing. It's all it is. It's like he is a really good CEO who I think might, again, everything I say here, I say with like 50 percent confidence because I don't believe in certain things with tires in any world. But I think he's a guy who might just elevate everything here. And now you have a guy who knows how to run things. And yeah, I mean, you have concerns. You, Again, no scheme. He's an offensive line coach. You know, there's the Ogeron thing. There's the failure at FIU that I think people will probably throw in his face, which, again, I'm not a believer in that being I fair. I don't think that's fair. No, uh, I don't. I think they gave him a raw deal. I think that was really dumb. I mean, they, they haven't done anything since. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a, yeah. I think I'm, I'm always a believer in sometimes, like, it's just a hard job to win at. And I'm not going to rule a coach out for that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Cristobal, like, I don't even have too much to say. I think it's literally the Franklin thing of, it's whether you're okay with hiring a pure CEO type, but I think he could do really, really well at LSU. Yeah. And the last guy we haven't talked about that's on this list is Mark Stoops, which we have talked about before. He is also in the similar mold where he has built Kentucky's program from the ground up, and it's been really impressive. I mean, LSU saw firsthand. You know, they, of course, lost to Georgia last weekend, but everybody's going to lose to Georgia this year, most likely. Um, and so I don't, even, I don't even discredit him for that. I mean... Kentucky does not have the talent that LSU has, probably even currently, to be honest, and just beat the tar out of LSU, made them look small, made them look, you know, outmanned, outsmarted. And, um, you know, that's a testament to what he's done there. So another, And and he falls in the category of... Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. No, Um, no, no, go ahead. He, I mean, people like kind of lazily talk about like, man, elite X is an O's coach getting the most out of that, which he is. Like, oh my God, I think Mark Stoops is one of the best football coaches. I've been, I mean, you know, I like to dabble in the wagering world. Like, he's one of those guys who's just great against the spread because he like just gets his teams to play, you know, there. But, uh, I think with him, he doesn't get enough credit for how good of a recruiter he is, and and and, uh, and the way that he knows how to evaluate talent. It's not, just, and that's like the same thing with a Matt Campbell, where it's like it's not just being able to like get the four star that surprises people. It's about the ability to know which three and four stars are really going to pop, and the ability to land some bigger fish than Kentucky normally gets. Like he is a good re- recruiting is about scale, right? And he's a great recruiter at what he does. I mean, uh, Ari Wasserman, our colleague, about a year and a half ago, did a fantastic fantastic story about how much him and his guy Vince Morrow have owned Ohio and from Kentucky yeah. and, and like Michigan hasn't been able to do that so I think I think I don't know if Mark Stoops would be ready for an LSU job I almost wonder if there's like some guys who are meant to thrive at a slightly lower level and then being at like five stars is a different thing so I, yeah I think that's actually my main concern there but 
I mean, I think he could do a lot with LSU. I mean, you're saying that he gets a sports car and he might not know how to drive that fancy stick shift, but he does really great in his Corolla. <laughs> I mean, shoot. I mean, I'm an Indiana fan, man. Like Tom Allen is something like that where I wonder. I'm like, Tom Allen knows how to get the most out of his guys, and he's a really good recruiter at recruiting guys that are going to grow. But like, I have no idea if Tom Allen's ever going to be like a guy who is going to be at his best at five stars because the thing with that is – when you are so good at building a program like that, it's about character. It's about like finding the guys who know exactly how to buy in. And by the way, some schools are amazing at doing that out of the Alabamas and Georgias too. But it's just like a different skill set when your life is about having – you have pressure on you to land the top 10 recruits and stuff like that. And then it's like you're slowly – and I'm not saying this for Tom Allen or Mark Stoops. God, no. But it's like a theory I always have. It's like how much are you then going to start cutting corners of the things that got you where you are? That's my like thing with that. It's like, are you going to slowly whittle away the things that made you great because you're chasing five stars? It's why like Matt Campbell, I think, has like told people privately, like I'm not going to chase five stars, you know. And I think that's a thing. Again, that is not me making a case against Mark Stoops. It's just like me going on a weird tangent about what I'm fascinated in with coaching hires. Well, it's going to be curious, and you know, we're, we're running a little short on time, but I will say that going through this list oh God, makes me six minutes. Look at us. Makes me strangely happy because. It's like, yeah, this is LSU. And even if we haven't had the best season and then coming off a big win, and I know that it's a weird thing where big win, coach is fired. But it's been in the works. I think they're going to have their pick. And until he proves me wrong, Scott Woodward has earned my trust as a fan so far. Um, I mean, he's already made a splashy hire poaching Kim Mulkey. I mean, I think that was a a, a big deal. And, you know, it's (laughs) – one of the only times that you can see a Hall of Fame coach in women's basketball leave for another job and boom, got her. And I had somebody point out to me like, well, the only like Jay Johnson wasn't a huge splash for baseball. And I'm like, first off, I I think it's good hire. But second off, I think people are forgetting that the entire cycle he was courting Pat Casey from Oregon State and Kevin O'Sullivan from Florida, two guys who were very, very, very interested in the job. So like the, the result is not the process you know he was still going for the biggest fish it was close to getting it you know but there was just some major off-field things there but that's a whole different right. story but anyway yeah, sorry that was just my aside yeah <laughs> um i'm just i'm excited to see where this goes and i think i i like a lot of these candidates you know the only one that i would be upset about is a person who is gustavo swinney i but understand yeah. the, i mean but but the fact that like i don't know i i think it's going to be fascinating i i and like Let's end on this, and I'm curious because I do think that how the rest of the season plays out, and honestly, Saturday's win. Where do you like? What's next for Ed Ogeron? Like, I'm fascinated to see where he goes from here because he did prove that he could build a national title winner. He did do that. Now he he wrecked the ship, but (laughs) he proved he could get there, and he's also proven throughout his career that he has learned from mistakes. A lot of mistakes in the last couple years. Yeah. So. Would would you be surprised if somebody takes a flyer on him as a head coach, or is he going to go back to being the master recruiter yeah. um, for for a huge program? I would I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, at the end of the day, I think Ed Ogeron is just like a worker, and I don't see Ed Ogeron like going to vacation, you know, and enjoying. His. No, yeah. But then you exactly. also there's that factor of like when you have a seventeen million dollar buyout, which he's you know expected to take. You know, it's like usually you don't go straight to another major head coaching job. You know what I mean? A lot of times you take like a smaller job and take your paychecks. But yeah, I don't know. I really don't because I don't think Ed Ojean's going to get offered another major head coaching job. I don't. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if Ed Ojean would be that interested in taking a like G5 job. You know what I mean? Where like I think he'd be qualified there. I think he'd do great there. But I just don't know if like mm-hmm. he'd be interested in that. And that does lead you to be like, yeah, is he going to go be like, Dan Mullen, I'm just using that example. I'm using that example because Dan Mullen tried to hire Ed Ogeron as a defensive coordinator about like five years ago. But I remember that. Yeah. But like, yeah, is Dan Mullen going to be like, Ed, be my number two now? And by the way, that might be an awesome pairing actually because Dan Mullen's biggest issue is recruiting. But yeah, like I, I think my gut leans toward that. Go be somebody's number two. Uh, I don't think it'll be Lane's because it's an old Miss, but um, right. or an old zoo. But uh, yeah, I, 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 that's my gut decision but i just don't know it's so hard to predict because there's so little precedent for a guy at his age at his acclaim at his track record and at his buyout we were just like on the market we don't have much track record there i know and he has six weeks left (laughs) he still has to do this job for six more weeks so it's guy it's it is 
been a fascinating season for all the wrong reasons and now for more interesting reasons. But I think we're about done, Brody. I, I, I appreciate your insight. I thought you were a good story. Again, I will link that and uh, keep killing it. Uh, and we will be back later this week. Let's actually talk about football again. Uh, because right, fine. What do you what do you know? There's a big game this weekend in Oxford, Mississippi, <laughs> where you talk about story arcs. Uh, a lame duck at Orgeron will be going to where he was also fired. God, I'm not um, ready to dive into that yet. My, head, my brain can't handle it. And he will be playing against a Lane Kiffin who was going to be his offensive coordinator at LSU if he didn't get the Florida Atlantic job. And B, the same Lane Kiffin who is A, my preferred hire and will be a candidate at LSU. Like the interwoven lines there are just blur my mind. But it's going to be a great story weekend. So get to writing, Brody. Yeah, God, I'm not, my brain isn't ready. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go now. <laughs> yeah, you should get some rest. Uh, Can I have a drink. You know, it was just, it was a, a busy Sunday for you, I guess, theoretically. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I'm joking. But yeah. Um, no, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, hope you made it the whole hour. Uh, yeah, and, go, uh, go, like and subscribe. And hey, if you're here, um, I'm really enjoying this engagement we're getting on Twitter. Why don't you tweet me and tell me if you would take Dabo Swinney as head coach? Prove me wrong. All right. Thanks for listening. Like, rate, subscribe, all that stuff. Get us, get us some good ratings. Um, uh, go Tigers, I guess. I don't know. What a weird time. Um, thanks, Brody.